Well, I want to begin this morning with a question for all of you to think about. And the question is this, what, would, what word would you use to describe the United States of America in 2020? Now, there's no right or wrong answer, just your own impression, but you are limited to one word. What is the word that you would use? Well, are you ready for my word? Here's my word. How about alienated? That's the word I would use, alienated. Now, we've been alienated by the virus from each other, haven't we? Uh, as many of you know, my daughter caught the virus out in Utah, and so she had to quarantine for two weeks and had to have two negative tests before returning to work. So she had her first test, and it came back negative. Then she had the second test, and they lost the results. Uh, as you know, it's not a very comfortable uh, thing to have these tests. So she had her third test, and they lost those results. And of course, being a holiday weekend, they have stopped the testing, so she is continuing to be isolated from her crew workers. You know, the people that I feel the deepest for, and I know you do as well, that's those folks that are isolated from loved ones who are dying, and they cannot be with them. Did you read about that elderly couple holding hands as they died together? Those are the folks that we feel deeply for. But then, you know, there's another alienation going on in our country. Social unrest has alienated us from one another, hasn't it? Um, how many think today that that is actually worse than the virus? Yeah, I, I think so. I've never seen worse social unrest in our country in my entire lifetime. We're alienated over politics, uh, over race relations, over values, law and order. We're alienated over social norms, over right and wrong. Can you name anything today almost that we are not alienated over? Now the good thing about the virus, it's going to eventually end, isn't it? But here's my question this morning. What's the answer for our social alienation? When is that alienation going to end? What is it that is ultimately going to bring us together as a people in peace? Well, how about the church? How about the church? Do you know why God created the church? He created the church because he wants a new humanity. See, the problem that we have is our old humanity. We need a new humanity. Our old humanity will not work. The old humanity that all of us have been a part of is the problem. And the Bible says the church is the new humanity. That's God's solution to the alienation amongst us. Now you know that we have begun a little series on the church as we have opened up our services once again. And this morning, I want to come to a passage in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22, and I want to entitle this message, The Church is God's New Humanity. And here's the question that I want us to think about this morning. 
How is the church God's new humanity? Well, in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us three answers, and we're going to look at the first one this morning. So if you would take your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to begin by reading verses 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, and here's the key question. How is the church... God's new humanity. And listen to what God says to us. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcisioned by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, now notice this, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, Strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, here's the reason why the church is the new humanity. We are a new humanity because everyone can belong. See, all the barriers, uh, all the obstacles that kept us from being the people of God have now been eliminated, and everyone has the potential, the welcome to be a part of God's new humanity in the church. Now, it is almost impossible for us to understand how underprivileged the Gentiles were before the Lord Jesus Christ came. Uh, In the book of Romans, uh, Paul talks about the advantages that the Jewish people had. Now, here is the opposite. In this passage, we learn the very things that the Jewish people had, the Gentiles did not have. And I want you to notice in verse 12, five disadvantages. By the way, if we had lived before Christ, these would have been our disadvantages. Number one, separated from Christ. The Jews look forward to the coming of Christ. But the Gentiles had not even heard about Christ. Uh, The Ephesians that Paul here is writing to worship the goddess Diana. And she was the goddess of fertility. Her temple was one of the seven great wonders of the world. And if a woman in that day wanted to get pregnant, she would pray to the goddess Diana. And she would bring offerings to the temple, hoping that Diana would bless her with conception. But friends, this morning, Diana was an idol. She wasn't the living Christ. Diana could not hear, and clearly she could not answer. The Gentiles were separated from Christ. Notice, secondly, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Here's what the Jews could say. We are God's chosen people. The Jews could say, we are a royal nation. So you know what they could say? They could say, the Lord is our shepherd, Psalm 23, right? They could say, we are God's people, we're the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100. And they could say, truly the Lord is good to Israel, Psalm 73. But listen, no Gentile nation 
could ever say that. Thirdly, Paul says they were strangers to the covenants of promise. Now, you know what a covenant was. It was a unique agreement between God and a people. And God made many, many covenants with the Jewish people. We can name them. There was the Abrahamic covenant. There was the Mosaic covenant. There was the Davidic covenant. In fact, when we finally get to the New Covenant, the Old Testament promised it first and foremost to the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Now, I have a question for you. How many covenants did God make with the Gentiles as a nation? Can we say zip? Zero? Nada? Not one. Not one. And then notice, number four, they were without God in the world. You remember when Paul went in Acts 17 to that great city of Athens, that marvelous Greek city that was the home of the famous Olympics. And as he walked through that city, uh, the Bible tells us that Paul was grieved over all the idols that he saw. And in Acts 17, verse 23, he even saw one to the unknown God. Now think about that. They had so many gods, they wondered, have we missed one? Have we missed one? And so to cover their bases, they created an altar to this unknown God in case he might be upset with them for having overlooked them. And so they had an idol, an altar to the unknown God. Here's what Paul said to them when he finally got an audience. He said, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul was saying, you don't know the real God. But because I'm a Jew, I know that God. And now let me proclaim to you the real God. Listen what the Bible is saying. The Gentiles knew every God except the real God. So it's not surprising then to us that their final disadvantage was, Paul says, they had no hope. They didn't know about Christ. They were not God's chosen people. They had no promises. The real God was unknown to them. No wonder they were hopeless. One Bible teacher has summarized all that is said here about the disadvantages of the Gentiles, and this is what he says. They were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. You want me to say that again? They were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. How many would say this morning, that is a very bad situation? Of course it is. And that was the Gentiles before the coming of Christ. And that was our prospect before Jesus. But now let's take this one step further. There was no way, if you were a Gentile, that you could remedy this by coming to God on your own. Let me say that again. There is no way, if you were a Gentile, that you could remedy this by coming to God on your own. 
There's a wonderful song that we love to sing here in our church. It's a favorite song of mine, and this is what it says. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. You see, that's what we proclaim to Gentiles today, amen, this morning? We proclaim to Gentiles today, come just as you are. When I was a boy uh, growing up, there was a man by the name of Jim who came to our church. And this is what he said. He said to our pastor, I'm not good enough to come. He said, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to clean up my life and then I will come to God. And our pastor very wisely said to him, Jim, you've got it all backwards. He said, you come to God just as you are and he will clean you up. In fact, he said, Jim, you have, you have the ability. You cannot clean up your own life. Jesus is the only one who can clean up your life. He said, you just come. Well, Jim did come. And we saw Jesus change Jim and transform his life. But look at what the Bible is saying to us here. Before Jesus came, no Gentile could just come. Every Gentile had to become a Jew first. And you know what we call that? We call that becoming a Jewish proselyte. A Jewish proselyte was a Gentile who would become a Jew in order to come to God. Now I want you to think what that involved. If you were a man, you had to be circumcised. And that's tough for a full-grown man. If you were a woman and you were childbearing age, you were unclean once every month, and you had to isolate yourself from your own family. You had to stop eating all the foods that you enjoyed eating. You had to now adopt a kosher diet. And you had to practice all the ceremonies in the Old Testament. You had to bring sacrifices. And the only place of acceptable worship was the temple in Jerusalem, if you could get there. Let me ask you this morning, how many Gentiles could do all that? How many? How many proselytes in the Bible do we know about? Well, there's a few. If I were to ask you to name them, you could probably give me some names. Ruth the Moabitess, she was a proselyte. Uriah the Hittite, he was. In the New Testament, probably the Ethiopian eunuch was a proselyte. Cornelius, the Italian soldier, was a proselyte. But we can't name very many more. Why don't we know more? Well, Peter gave the answer in Acts 15, verse 10. Listen to what Peter said. He said, Judaism was a yoke on the neck that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. That's Peter. 
about the Jewish religion that he grew up in. Listen to what he said. Judaism, he said, Acts 15.10, is a yoke on the neck that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Peter said that. Why did he say that? Do you know how many commandments are in the Torah? The first five books of the Old Testament, do you know? According to the Jewish Talmud, there are 613 commandments in the first five books, the Torah. There are 248 positive ones, and there are 365 negative ones. Let me ask how many of you have those memorized this morning. How many think any Gentile had any chance of keeping them all? Of course not. Peter was very, very honest. He said it was an impossible yoke even for the Jews. Now listen, would you, to verse 13 again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How many would say that is good news this morning? That is good news. By the way, whenever you come to a but now in Scripture, it is one of the most two wonderful words in all the Bible. In fact, did you know in chapter 2 here it's twice? Earlier in the chapter we see but God, and now we come here, but now that's good news. What it means is that God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Two things totally changed the Gentiles' prospects and the Jewish prospects too. And notice those two things. By the blood of Christ. A way has now been made available A way has been opened by the blood of Christ where you no longer have to be a Jew to come. And then the second thing, in Christ Jesus, that's an offer of a personal relationship that anyone can have and thereby be brought directly into a relationship with God. Those two things are the but now, by the blood of Christ and in Christ Jesus. But I want you to notice something else here this morning. Something else is also good news in verse 13. Verse 13 says, those who were far off have been brought near. Guess who the far off were called in the Old Testament? Guess who they were? Yeah, they were the Gentiles. You and me, the Gentiles. Isaiah 49.1 calls us the far off. Guess who were called the near? The Jews. Psalm 148.14, God says, My people Israel, who I am near. Only the Jews as a people had the opportunity to be near to God. But I'm so glad that Isaiah kept writing his volume 
Because when you get to Isaiah 57 and verse 19, God promised one day peace, peace to the far and to the near. That is one of the greatest prophecies in the Old Testament. God was saying, there's coming a day when I'm going to send my son, and when he comes, there's going to be peace, peace, not only to the near, but also to the far. Both the far, the Gentiles, and the near, the Jews, now have a way to come in the same way. You see, both can belong to God's people, the church, by the blood of Christ and in Christ Jesus. Uh, two years ago, I had the opportunity to invite a uh, Jewish Christian to come and to speak in our church. He came from Florida, and uh, he was so excited to get here. He uh, is a Messianic Jew. And as you know, Messianic Jews are those who say, we believe Jesus is the Messiah, he's Savior, Lord, and King, and we are going to receive him as our Messiah. And this man is now a Jewish missionary ministering in Florida. By the way, just a few months ago, right here in Marquette, a Jewish person said to me, we are still waiting for our Messiah to come. Isn't that a sad thing? What a sad thing that is. And this man said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. His story is an amazing story. By the way, he was really looking forward to coming here to Marquette because he said he wanted to have one of those pasties that we enjoy. Now, you know what? In addition to this Messianic Jew that particular weekend, we had an Arab Christian who was one of our missionaries who also spoke. If you were here that weekend, he played a wonderful instrument up here with just beautiful music as well. And then here's another thing. That same weekend, we had an Iranian Christian who is an evangelist to Muslims, and he was here and spoke as well. And I said to us after that particular weekend, you may remember, I said probably for most of us, it was the first time in our lives that we had ever been together in a church service with a Jew, an Arab, and an Iranian. And for many of us, we may never experience that ever again. Now, you know what was amazing for me? There were no knives, no guns. No suicide vests. No one was yelling or shouting at anyone else. No one was raising a fist. And there were no threats. In fact, the Jewish Christian had such a great time here in this Gentile church that he wants to come back. And I have to ask this question. What in the world got into those men from those nations that are normally enemies of one another and also enemies of us Americans here in the United States? What in the world ever got into those men? But now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ brought them near, saved them, and now has made them brothers. The alienation is now gone. And in its place is love, praising of the Savior, peace amongst former enemies, and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what the Bible is saying. This is why God created the church. This is why God created the church. So that this alienation would be removed and everyone could be a part of God's new humanity if they would come. How many would say this morning, this is what the world needs? This is what the world needs. Do you see what the church is? The church is God's new humanity. Where else can you get an Arab, a Jew, an Iranian, Americans who are considered the great Satan together in peace, in love, in praise to the real God whom we now all know. Where else does that happen? It happens in the church because everyone is now able to belong. Is the church pretty important in God's program this morning? Is this why we long for everyone to be back? Is this why we long to give our praise and glory and honor to the Savior who has made this possible? Is this why, but now in verse 13, is one of the greatest transitions in all the Bible, that in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. And let's take a moment, shall we? And let's thank Him for it. Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you that this is the gospel. Thank you that this is your eternal plan. And thank you, Lord, as we live in a culture today that for many of us is more alienated than we have ever seen it in our lifetimes. Alienated over every conceivable thing that you are doing a marvelous and great work as you bring near to yourself men and women, boys and girls, and save them, and then unite them together in one body so that they become a new humanity where the alienation is gone and in its place is love and peace and praise to the living God and proclamation of the gospel, which is the hope of the world. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning. 
We thank you that you have brought us back together. We long for the day in which the rest of our brothers and sisters can be here. We pray, Lord, for those who are suffering this day under the difficulties of this pandemic. And we thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ that we can share with the world around us. Father, I thank you personally for encounters in the, the last couple of weeks with people who are looking for answers and have come here to the church because they know the church is a place where the living God is believed in and understood and the answers are found in him. And so we thank you as your people that we can be filled with your hope and your purpose. We love you, Lord, together this morning. For Jesus' wonderful sake, amen.